So what email provider do you use for your personal email, not your work email? What email? Does Hotmail count? Yeah, yeah, of course. You Mm -hmm. use Hotmail? Seriously. Dang, I was... So I use AOL, okay? So the two guys, the two mid-20-year-olds that are running student ministries and have a podcast both have emails at hotmail <laughs> and at aol.com so <laughs> like we clearly have not caught up to the times the reason i ask is because have you seen the tiktok probably tiktoks probably. where this guy will go into like he'll go into stores and he'll I don't, like he'll try and sign up for their newsletter or for like a subscription and the person at the counter will be like so what's your email and he'll be like i really like your outfit today and she'll be like, oh, thank you. And then he'll be like, at gmail.com. <laughs> I hate that. Because, like, that reminds me of the people, like, um, who have the voicemails where it's like, you know, the voicemail rings. It's like, hello. And then it's a big pause. And then I go on and tell them everything that I need to tell them. And they're like, you've reached so-and-so. And I'm just like, Arr! like, I that pisses me off more than anything in the world. Um, so I have a phenomenal story. Back when I was in 10th grade, I was applying for a job at Starbucks. Worked at Starbucks for eight years, so I got the job. But I was applying for this job at Starbucks, and I was waiting for the manager, Adam, to call me back and give me an update about my interview. Well, the day Adam decided to call me back was a day when I was out at the spring with my buddies, right? So we were all, you know, splashing around in the spring, having a good time. Splashing around. Yeah, bro. It's a floor. It's a Florida thing. It's a Florida thing. We're at the spring. I get back to my car. I pull out my phone and I see missed call from Adam. And I see a voicemail. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I'll listen to the voicemail. And I, at this point, I had forgotten what my like answering machine on my cell. Like I forget what it was. So I start listening to the phone voicemail and Adam, Adam goes like, Hey, I just had like a 14 minute conversation with your voicemail. Um, I really don't want to give you the job anymore. Give me a call back when you, when you can. And I'm like, what? So I go listen to my, I go listen to my like answering machine or my voicemail or whatever it's called. And it was like, Hey, what's up? This is Victor. And then a long pause. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Um, did you see the game last night? It's <laughs> it's stuff like this that like really makes me wonder why I'm friends with you. Because that, but that I got would, the job. That would infuriate me to the point where I would rescind my job offer to you. <laughs> and I would blackball you to any sort of company hey, or anything. I'm, I would talk so much trash I'm t- about you. So I'm saying trash. that. Ultimately, that's why I got the job. Um, He also told me, he said, if you ever apply for a job that's not in the fast food industry, change your voicemail. And so that day, my voicemail changed. Um, For a long time, my voicemail was CM Punk's WWE walk-in music. That was pretty good. Um, Yeah, I was a cool kid. Y'all go to my Facebook and scroll down like, to when I like 10 years ago and you'll see some fire. You're, I went to a kiss concert when I was nine years old. Your Facebook is wild, bro. Um, I only log into <laughs> Facebook like once every month and a half just to check in on like who got married and who has what kid now. Um, mm-hmm. But like every time Victor's is the first thing that pops up and I'm like, it's just like the random thought process is like, he doesn't think about what he puts up there. It's just like, I like Taco Bell um, and just post it as a Facebook post. And that's it. Like, you and yep. like the 65 year old men and women of America post on Facebook in very similar ways. Um, yeah, I, I like to fixate on things. And so I, there was one time where I went on a 35 minute, like rampage about how I wanted French onion soup. <laughs> and I, I like, I was like, man, there's no French onion soup in my, in, in North Carolina. And I started like going off, like, you know, Red Robin needs to start carrying French onion soup and Olive Garden needs to start carrying French onion soup. And then I was like, Moe's needs to start carrying French onion soup. But then I was like, is that culturally like, am I like 
saying that that's like culturally appropriate for them to have French onion soup. And then I started getting in my head. And so I deleted all of the posts. Um, anyways, welcome to Sanctified. That was, that was five <laughs> minutes of a ramble. See, like that intro is a very good representation of what his Facebook posts are like. Or just what his mind is yeah. like in general. It's just like random, random, Send random, me a friend random, request. Random. I have 14,000. Um, most of them are bots. You know how like some people buy like Instagram fake followers yeah. and TikTok fake followers? I buy fake Facebook friends. You would have been popular in 2006. <laughs> it's like my MySpace profile. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to Sanctified Ish. My name is Victor, student pastor at a local church in north carolina and my name is reagan jones also a student pastor at the same church in north carolina and welcome to sanctified ish conversations with pastors who haven't figured it out um and vic we uh we decided to kind of throw this episode in here because i think this is something that um pastors struggle with but i think anytime we're talking about people in our mid-20s career vocation purpose what do i do with my life is an overarching question um, that a lot of us are really trying to ask and answer. And so we try to find fulfillment in our purposes and what we do. Um, our purpose is what we're called to in this life. And we send all of this to center around our vocation. And so this whole episode is literally going to be about like, what does the Bible say our calling is as followers of Jesus? And what does that mean for our vocation? Because those are two very, very different things. Um, and I'm really excited to, to open up this conversation here tonight. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times, I mean, like middle and high schoolers have come up to me yeah. and been like, man, how do I know what God's calling me to? And oh, yes, people are asking this question in literally all stages of life. Yeah. Like This is just a question that everyone at some point, every Christian at some point asks themselves. And I've had students as young as fifth grade mm -hmm. ask me that question. And I think... America has kind of created this culture where we are, we're very work oriented. Yeah. We're very, what can I accomplish? What can I do? What can I, you know, what job can I go get? What degree can I go work for so that I can go do this thing? Like we're very, you know, if I do this, then I can do this, then I can do this. And our, if you're into coding, yeah. you know, your life is a big, if then statement, like if I accomplish this, then this will happen. And that's just like how we've been programmed to operate. Mm -hmm. But I think what you'll find is when we start asking the question, what has God called you to, what has God called us to, then the if then statements kind of start to break down mm -hmm. because the answer to that question isn't American culturalism. It's actually rooted in the Bible. And the yeah. answer for us here is the same answer for our brothers and sisters in Europe and mm -hmm. Asia and Africa in Australia, like the four people that live in Antarctica, like the answer <laughs> is the same. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's so true, man. I think kind of like our hope for this episode is that there's actually a little bit of freedom that comes in this, that there is freedom that would come from understanding that no, the Bible has actually already told you what you are called to. Um, there isn't a different calling for different Christians. Um, and so like Matthew 28, Great Commission, this is what you are called to as a follower of Jesus, whether you are, this is like our whole series right now with our students, just the youth. You're called to this as a high schooler, a middle schooler. You're called to this as someone who's 85 and on their deathbed. And you're called to this as a mega church pastor is to now therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son of the Holy spirit, teaching them all that I have observed to command you and behold, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. Like that is your calling. And as the mission of God to now therefore go and make disciples, your vocation, yeah. what you do for a living is the way in which you accomplish that calling. Um, yeah. And I think what Vic is trying to say is that we say like, okay, well, like, what am I called to in this life? And so we say well, like, well, maybe I'm called to the MBA. I'm called to be a doctor. I'm called to be a lawyer. Um, I'm called to do these things for a professional living. The problem becomes we now spend our, all this time searching for that one thing that we think will bring ultimate spiritual fulfillment. But God has already told you. He said, no, I go and make disciples. In whatever avenue yeah. I put in front of you, go and make disciples. I think we spend so much time searching, and I think that searching turns into obsession. Mm -hmm. We become so obsessed with 
you know, if if I don't choose the right profession, then I have just thrown off mm -hmm. God's will for everything. It's like and, and hear hear me when I say this, that thought process revolves around you and your decision making rather than God and what he has declared true about past, present and future. Yeah. And so like in that we, we actually operate in a sense of pride when we ask this question a lot of times, because we have to realize that God is sovereign mm -hmm. and his plan for this world is going to be accomplished, whether or not you exist, yeah. let alone choose the right profession. And so I think we have to enter into it that way. This question is really weighty for a lot of people. And I don't think it should be. Yeah. I think this question should actually be really freeing. Yeah, like now that you have been invited into the family of Christ, now you get to go into the world and be a part of his plan. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Like That's awesome. That's freeing. Yeah. But when we, you know, disproportionately put weight in the wrong area, I think that's where we get thrown off a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Well, and I think I experienced this when I was uh, like 16, 17, 18, that I was like, okay, well, if I'm supposed to go and make disciples, the only way I can do that is as a pastor. Um, and so I had to wrestle with like, okay, am I actually called to be in ministry or do I think just being in ministry is what I'm supposed to do? Because if I go be a sports broadcaster, that's not fulfilling the calling that God has placed for Christians to go and make disciples. And man, that's like something that, I think uh, the pastor at our church has said something like very, very profound over the years, where it's just basically like, whatever you do, go and do it somewhere strategic for God, for the mission of God. Um, and that basically means it's like, man, if you're going to be a lawyer, go be a lawyer, go invade that circle, invade that space and make disciples in the places that you are. Um, if you are a, 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 a high school athlete, your, your vocation is high school basketball player. Your job is, making disciples. If you are a 45 year old pastor, your vocation is pastor. Your calling is making disciples. Like that calling is always going to make, is always going to be the same. The way in which, the way in which we do that is the only thing that's actually going to change. I remember having a really profound conversation with my pastor back in Florida. And it was, it was when I was a senior in high school and I was, I was really considering what to do with my life. And I, I shared my testimony a little bit in our first episode, but I was kind of at this crossroads where I either pursued like technology and computer engineering and CSIT, like all of these things that I was really passionate about and good at, or I could choose to go into ministry. And I was kind of at this crossroads in my life. And so I went to my pastor, Pastor Daniel Butson, and I asked him, I was like, hey, how do I know what to choose? Which one do yeah. I pick, right? If if I make the wrong choice, then I'm really going to screw up my future. Yeah. And Daniel, he looked at me and he was like, Victor, do you love Jesus? It's like, well, of course I love Jesus. I was like, I'm, I'm contemplating the calling that he has on my life. Of course I love Jesus. Yeah. And he's like, man, then guess what? You have the freedom to make that choice. And whichever choice you make, love Jesus as best and as hard as you can. Yeah. And when I left that conversation, didn't know which one to pick, mm -hmm. but I felt free. I, I felt free from the grip that the rest of my life depended Bro. on this decision. Yes. Cause we think the sovereignty of God is like a constricting thing that it's like, I have to conform to what he has already predestined and set for me. But when the reality is, it's like, it's, like, it's a flip it's yeah. a flip of that. That like <laughs> when we know that he is sovereign over everything, it actually gives us the freedom to walk out in, in, in grace and in our own volition, knowing that he is sovereign over what we choose. Um, and like, yeah. that's, that's the beauty of this man. And I'm like, I, it's so funny you mentioned that because my very first year as a student pastor, most of the conversations I had, like I came on towards the end of the year. Um, so it was like, seniors were graduating. And a lot of my conversations was like at coffee shops with kids where it's like, dude, I don't know what college to go to. I'm freaking out. What do I do? And I'm like, part of me is just like, I spent that whole process freaking out about what job do I take? What city am I in? Like, what do I, I just went through the same thing. And I'm like, and having these conversations, the Lord just reminded me over and over and over and over again, that like, 
the the world will not stop spinning if you make the wrong college decision. Um, your job, even if even if you make the quote unquote wrong decision, your job is to go there and be faithful to what's in front of you and make disciples. And that's that's the really beautiful thing, man. And I know that uh, yeah. I was talking to one of my friends in Chicago recently, um, where they're just like, man, like I'm really unhappy in my job. I don't really see what's going on. Like, do I, do I need to leave? Do I not need to leave? And those are really good, awesome questions to be wrestling with. But then it's like, well, is this God's will for my life? Um, is this God's calling on my life? Like maybe God is calling me somewhere else. And I think this is like, this is the really fine line because like we see in scripture, God calling people to very specific places. Yes. God calling you to a place is different than his call on your life. And like God calling you to a place is not only going to be backed up by scripture and by the spirit, but it's going to be backed up by the people in your life. And so we oftentimes make these decisions in isolation where it's like, well, God called me to this. And it's like, did he, did did he actually call you to this? Or is this something we decided to choose? Have you prayed about it? Yeah. Like has someone else spoken that into your life? Do you see that in scripture? Like, have you meditated and prayed on this? Um, But we're so nervous and paralyzed almost wondering the question of like, am I actually called to go do this when God has already told you what the calling of your life is? Um, yeah. Yeah. Hear this, hear this the right way. I would rather make the wrong choice and love Jesus than be paralyzed and do nothing. And I say that because like we and, and in this, like we're talking about like this freedom to make these choices. Like, yes, I, I do think the Holy Spirit does play a very tangible part in very tangible decisions. Like when I was offered a job at my church, I prayed if I should accept, like if I should take that job, yeah. the Holy Spirit plays a role. And we're not saying disregard the spirit's pull and tug in particular decisions that you make in your life, but the calling for the overarch, the, the narrative of your life is the same. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I remember, I remember even when I lived in Florida and I was at my, I was at my old college and I was very unhappy at this college, very unhappy, was not enjoying my time. Didn't feel like I was growing, wasn't learning much. And I'm not blaming the college. There's a lot of stuff going on in my own life that also kind of contributed to that. And one day I woke up and said, I want to transfer schools. Guess what I did? I transferred schools. Mm -hmm. Was there any crazy, like, Holy Spirit dream telling me to get up and pack my bags and do, you know, an Isaiah, I am here, I'll go to North Carolina and start at Southeastern? No. I just decided to change schools. And I had people in my life tell me if that was a good idea or a bad idea. They all said it. "Ah, I don't see a problem with it. You can change schools. And so I did. And now I have a fantastic community and group of friends. I'm married. I have a great job. Mm -hmm. Like the Lord has provided for me in the midst of a decision. I think I could have stayed in Florida, never moved to North Carolina Mm -hmm. and been obedient to Jesus. Mm -hmm. I do. Because I also think you you would have made disciples because I could have been, you would have made disciples in Florida. So you would have been obedient. And I think this is where like, hopefully we want, we want this podcast to be frameworked around like in whatever vocation you have and whatever vocation you want to do, be obedient to where you are to make disciples. And so starting from that, understanding that your vocation and what you do is not what you were called to. It is the vehicle in which yeah. you get to fulfill your calling. Here's where I want to turn it because here's where I think this is the, the meat of the podcast. How do we actually execute this calling? How do we actually fulfill the mission? What does it mean to actually go and make disciples in these spheres and circles? So like, I'll think from a very like student ministry like focus on this. What does it look like for a 16-year-old who plays baseball to go and make disciples in his or her school? Like, what is what does that look like? Because that's what we actually need to focus on now that we've shifted from vocation. Yeah. I actually have a really cool story. One of my students, um, he's homeschooled, right? Doesn't really play a ton of sports. He 
doesn't have much of a community in terms of like non-believers around mm-hmm. him. And I asked him, I ask him every week. I'm like, Hey, do you share the gospel this week? Well, no, I'm, I don't have anyone to share the gospel with. And I was like, well, what would it look like for you to share the gospel? And he was like, I don't know. I probably need to get outside my spheres. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, what do you like to do? And he's like, well, I like to throw Frisbee. Great. Let's go play ultimate Frisbee. Yeah. And now he's a, on an ultimate Frisbee team. He sought out something that he enjoyed doing, right? Mm-hmm. He enjoyed it. He loves throwing Frisbee. He brings a Frisbee to every single thing we do. He loves Frisbee. And he took that passion, what he loves to do, and he took it to the field. And now he's on a team. Now he's surrounded yeah. by non-believers in a context in which he's passionate about. And now he has a people that he can engage with and share the gospel. Yeah. And I think similar principles apply here, right? He was was not really accomplishing this disciple making disciple mentality Mm -hmm. being secluded in his house. So what did he have to do? He had to take a step and he had to get out of his circle and he had to go. And so I think very practically you need to kind of analyze the spheres that you're in Mm -hmm. and see, man, like would any of these make a great opportunity to share the gospel? My workplace, my sports team, my school, my family, my community, like where, what spheres have, has God placed me in where I can be effective for his mission? Because what we do is we tend to look, okay, what can I do in five years to be effective for God's mission? And we forget that we've been placed in spheres where we can be effective for his mission today. And man, I wish I had a whiteboard because this works much better with a whiteboard. But (laughs) Draw it out. Draw it out. (laughs) Like the way that it like works in my head is like, okay, so take that idea of like you have a circle of influence where you're at. The idea of fulfilling the Great Commission is overwhelming. Um, the idea of taking the gospel to all nations, like that makes me want to curl up in a ball because that is so many people in so many places. And like, none of us can do that in and of ourselves. That's why the Lord gives you a circle of influence. You have a part to play. You're not driving the whole thing. And so in that circle, he's given you little tiny circles. Your job is to take care of that school, that family, that job. And you may love that circle of influence. You also may hate your circle of influence. But we, we influence these places not because we like it. We influence these places because they need God. And so if you, if you picture the whiteboard here, if the big circle is the Great Commission, inside that big circle is just little circles of faithful followers of Jesus over and over and over and over. And over time, the little circles fill up that big circle. But that big circle is only filled if you take care of your part. If you take care of that circle of influence that God has given you, and like Vic said, like go into those spaces, make yourself a little uncomfortable, and go and share the gospel. Um, like we, we just had an elder at our church come and and pray with middle schoolers after uh, after church on Sunday, and it was literally the best thing I think we've ever done as a student ministry because there was about twenty five middle schoolers sitting on the floor in a room, and we just walked through Psalm ninety six and we prayed for the boldness to share the gospel and the spheres and circles of influences that the Lord has given middle schoolers, dude. And I'm like, it takes boldness to go and share the gospel. Um, And so a healthy habit of praying that God would open up the doors and a healthy habit of, of praying for the boldness that when the Lord does open those doors, that we would step forward and share the gospel and allow him um, to change people's hearts. Cause it's not our job to change our hearts. It's just our job to be bold and share the gospel in these circles. Yeah. And the encouraging thing is, is that a lot of times I wouldn't say that this is a fact across the board, but a lot of times we don't have to do this alone. And so think of your school, your school probably has some form of an FCA where Christians gather at some point during the week to talk about Jesus. Yeah. Like my school, I had to start that FCA. Maybe that, maybe that's what you want to do. Maybe you need to start your FCA. And what that did is that gave a, we had a weekly hub. We had a weekly spot where all of the Christians came together and we got to pray for our school. We have to pray for the people in the school. We have to invite people to come study the Bible with us. And then what happened is a school of 6,000. Yes. My high school had 6,000 people. Is that a school of 6,000? It's a really overwhelming for Mm -hmm. me. But then I was surrounded by 30 Christians and I was like, oh, I'm not in this alone. Mm -hmm. Like I had like I have my brothers and sisters by my side 
praying the same thing that I'm praying. We're going to go do the same thing together. We're going to go accomplish this great commission, this often overwhelming feeling task that has been handed to us. We're going to go accomplish this thing together because mm-hmm. I can't do it alone. And 30 turned into 40, 40 turned into 50. And by the time we knew it, we had to leave the classroom mm-hmm. we, we were in and go to the auditorium because our group had just grown. But it was because we did it in community. Yeah. It's because our friends and, and our, our people were there. And I'm not saying that can be the case all the time. There's a very good chance you're the only Christian at your workplace. Mm-hmm. There's a good chance you're the only Christian on your sports team. I'm not saying that's the case everywhere, but if it's a possibility, you should seek that mm-hmm. out because doing that in community is one going to encourage you, but it's also like, we just have power in numbers. Yeah. Like it's a very simple, just a very simple concept. Like the more Christians there are to share the gospel, the more people get to hear the gospel. Yeah. It's just like, that's why we need people to go overseas yeah. to people groups that have never heard the gospel well, before. It's so funny you mentioned um, that because I feel like my life is literally living the opposite of that. So like, I feel like I have my ministry <laughs> life and I have my personal life. And honestly, just like, I feel like it's my job to fulfill the great commission of my work life. But dude, I feel like my personal life honestly lacks in this area because man, grew up in high school, no Christian friends, no youth group, no circle. Then I went and played basketball at a private Christian college. Now I'm at a seminary. Now I work at a church. All my friends are now Christian. So like I'm now surrounded in the place that I spend 95% of my time. I'm surrounded by people that already know and love Jesus. And my job is to pour into these students that walk into the doors. And like some of them love Jesus. Some of them don't love Jesus. My job is to steward that and be faithful and make disciples there. When I come home, dude, I'm like, I live in a one bedroom studio apartment and I'm from the North and we don't say hi to our neighbors. So like, I'm not the knock on your door, give you brownies. Like I'm more the, why are you talking to me? It's seven o'clock at night, go home. Um, But dude, I've just been convicted about this recently. We're like, okay, you want to talk about like not liking the circle of influence that you have. There's also like not knowing (laughs) that you have a circle of influence that I'm like, the Lord just kind of hit me with this the other day, but like he's placed me in this apartment building with a neighbor to the right and a neighbor to the left who may know Jesus, but who also may not know Jesus. And like, do I steward the neighbor who can probably hear me talking about them on the other side of this wall? Like, do I steward them with the same intention that I steward my students who walk into a church on Sunday morning? Like, Am I pursuing that? And again, I don't know how to do that other than maybe even just like going and knocking on the door and saying like, hey, I'm Reagan. Nice to introduce myself. I've been living next to you for nine months and not said one word to you. Um, yeah. But I'm like, th- th- there are times that I think we, God has given us a circle of influence and we may not notice. Um, and to simply ask him like, Lord, show me the circle of influences you've given me in my life and give me the boldness to step into it, to share the gospel, even if it may be a little difficult and scary in the moment. Um, Cause it's not always just your work. Um, sometimes he's giving you circle of influences in your personal life as well. Yeah. That was something that I had to realize when I got into ministry because I was the opposite, like public school, public workplace. You know, I went to Christian college, but like usually my spheres have been relatively non-Christian. And so growing up in those contexts, middle school, starting in FCA, high school, like leading the FCA, going into Starbucks and like starting prayer groups and like just being very missionally focused Mm -hmm. and then starting my work at a church. And like, it just stopped. It sucks. Like it It just, it just stopped. And it took me a while to realize. And it was when our church launched this campaign called who's your one. Yeah. And when we launched that campaign, I lit like literally two years ago, I could have rattled off 10 names Mm -hmm. easily. But when we launched that campaign, I was like, I don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know who it is yeah. because I work at a church. I go to seminary. Yes. Like my spheres are very Christian. And so bro, one day I just baked cookies for my neighbors. Yeah. Now they were very bad. Uh, I definitely burnt them and I put them in a bag and they definitely melted on their doorstep. <laughs> However, <laughs> I baked cookies. For, I tried to bake cookies for my neighbor and like we've built some pretty good relationships with our neighbors and yeah this is something where I'm like, man, I got to grow in this. Yeah. 
because you're right. Like I have, I am in spheres. I just now have to be very intentional on looking mm-hmm. for, looking for mm-hmm. them. Well, and this is, sometimes they're hidden away. Yes. And, and, and this is the hard part that we're like, this is why calling and vocation are two very different things that I'm like, I can fulfill the calling that the Lord has placed on my life to make disciples as a pastor at the church that I'm at. If one day the Lord either moves me on to a different church or just removes ministry altogether and says, Hey, go, build things with your hands. That's like the last thing the Lord would ever call me, call me to do. But like, if he goes and tells me to do that, I am no less called to make disciples then than I am right now as a pastor. And so like my calling is not dependent on the vocation that I'm in, even as a pastor. And so like, I've set my vocation aside, take my ministry aside. Am I fulfilling the great commission, the calling the Lord has placed on my life? If I had never had the title of a pastor. Um, and I know that that is not an overall blanket statement for like most of the people listening, but like just for me wrestling with like, I think I've put a lot of my calling and dependency on my calling on my job and my vocation that like I've crossed that check mark off on Sunday morning. And now that I've done that, well, now I'm good with my neighbors. Um, I'm good with extended family. I'm good with friends that I haven't talked to. And I'm like, no, that's not the case. Um, because church is very easy to fulfill that calling. It's very low hanging fruit. My personal life is very difficult. It takes intentionality. It takes baking cookies. It takes knocking on the doors and being uncomfortable. Um, But those are the spheres that the Lord has put us in. Um, And looking at it briefly from a pastoral perspective, the job of a pastor, the vocation is spiritual in nature from the time you clock in, from the time you clock out. And if you're in pastoral ministry, you know that there is no clock in or clock out, right? Like you are working spiritually constantly. Yeah. And so it's really easy to say, to fall into the trap of, man, my neighbors don't need me because my life is this. Mm -hmm. And like, pastors are not excused from obeying the great commission Mm -hmm. and their personal lives. Yep. We're just not. And And that should encourage non-pastors too. Like, like we're not perfect. Because look look at the very first word or second word of the great commission. Third word. My goodness. Now, therefore go. Therefore. Yeah. (laughs) It's whatever the order (laughs) is of that. Like, Go. <laughs> Depending on your translation. Depending on your translation, whatever the message says. Um, like the go aspect, that's the important that's so hard because church culture, especially Western Americanized church, church culture, is come and see. Come and see, come and see, come yeah. and see, come to our events, come to our programming. And you know who's going to come to the church programming? Church people. And we love church people and we're going to disciple church people. Like our job is to steward the people that walk in those doors and make sure these kids and these people love Jesus. Praise God. We're going to do it. Unchurched people are like, this is like day one of seminary. Like they had told us like, Hey, the way we've done church doesn't work for people nowadays because someone, it used to be the case where someone like the average person may have some interest in church. And if you went and invited them, they may come 50% of the time. He's like, now that number has dropped down below 10%. That like yeah. people are not going to be interested in coming to your church simply because the doors are open. You have to go to them. Yep. Um, and I'm like, dude, this is like the easiest way to illustrate this. Um, like Vic, I've talked to you this. Uh, the Y that I go to has like a chapel um, right by the front door. And I take two steps in and I look to the right and the doors are always open. And there's scripture on the top and there's this like these pews and this Bible up the front. I have never seen one person step foot in that chapel and there's traffic it's it's right it's right by a college so there's all this traffic and praise god that it's there but that's the thing it isn't just enough to be in spaces where people don't know jesus you have to go to them there's an active part it isn't just enough to open up our doors and expect the people to wander in um and i think that's where like we look at our own personal lives like man i actually have to go to my neighbors (laughs) Like my neighbor more than likely isn't just going to come to church because we say like, Hey, come, come join us. Like more than likely I have to take the uncomfortable step and go knock on some doors and introduce myself and just make myself a presence in their life 
um, because that's yeah. what the early church did, man. They went to the broken people. They, they went, um, and I think the church has lost. I think I've lost some of that, that heart a little bit. Going to broken people requires relationships. Yeah. And that's hard. I think that's why we, you know, we say the doors are open and we just say, come and see. It's Mm -hmm. because the relational work of the great commission is tough. It's not easy work. Yeah. And when, when the open door policy doesn't work and we sit back and ask why it's because we're trying to, we're trying to passively accomplish the great commission. It's like passive income right? Like you always, like you're always looking for the thing that will sell online and just make you income on the side. And it's like, well, those passive income streams seem great, Mm -hmm. but it's like, ultimately they're, unless you like go big, Mm -hmm. like they're not the primary source of anyone's income in the same way. Like we can't just passively open the doors and expect people to, to be like, yeah, I want to become a Christian because the door to our church is unlocked. Like, no, we have to go have relationships. Yeah. Like my boss, a long time ago, my boss needed help painting his house. Not a believer. I very, I did not want to go over to my boss's house that he lived like an hour away mm-hmm. to go paint his house. But I did because I knew it was an opportunity to build a relationship with mm-hmm. him. I brought pizza and we painted his house. Cool. Like, but guess what? That requires a little bit more effort than just opening the doors on Sunday. And I think that's where Christians need to begin to really start taking steps because we can't have this passive income, great commission mindset. We have to go to the dirty places, to the places that are uncomfortable, to the places that require work, like that require a little bit of effort. But we're going to see significantly more fruit from the places that we've gone and built relationships with than, you know, just say, yeah, come, come to our church on Sunday. We, we sing our God is an awesome God. Amen. You know, well, and, he reigns. And I think this is like, especially just in, from a student ministry context, we say like, invite your friends, invite your friends. And that, that's our primary mode of reaching lost people is taking Christians who we hopefully love Jesus and saying like, okay, now go tag a person and bring them here. And like, again, there's value in that. Like, we don't want to say, don't invite people to church, but what I would actually really love to see is like, yes, invite people to church, but I would love if you actually were so on fire for Jesus that you went and shared the gospel with that person, led them to the Lord, gave them a Bible, started discipling them, and then brought them to church to be in community with other believers. That's what would really get me yes. fired up. Um, because yes. man, like, that's what Jesus did. Jesus first had to go. He had to come to broken places, broken people, a broken earth. Like he didn't invite us to heaven before first coming to earth. Um, and I think in the same way, we, we, we want to like invite people to church, invite people into our spaces without actually going to them first. Um, and I think that that's what the heart and the attitude of like, this is what we are called to. This is what will change the world. Now, therefore go and now make these disciples. And so Vic, I think we've hit on the go part. What does it actually look to make a disciple? How do we know what a disciple is? And how do we actually do that? Because I think that's a very daunting thing. I think that's why we oftentimes say like, well, just invite them to church because then the professionals can actually do it, um, which that's not the case at all. So like, how how do we actually make a disciple and how do we know what a disciple looks like? Yeah, I think to, to look at, to see what a disciple looks like, we have to look probably at the things that marked jesus's disciples right like we when we say disciples yeah like jesus had 12 people that came around him and followed him and learned from him our church has a little saying something i'm probably going to say it wrong we make disciples not just converts and so there's a difference between a convert and a disciple Mm -hmm. a convert prays a prayer maybe feels a feeling but that convert's salvation is then worked out through their sanctification in becoming like Jesus. And so we make disciples by coming alongside converts and helping them grow to look like Jesus. A disciple discipleship is an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. 
It's not something that stops. You can't say, well, I'm a disciple now. No, I am in discipleship. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we, when we say like disciples making disciples, we're looking at me and like, we're raising people up in our church to continuously love Jesus in their day to day life. And hopefully, right. If they're obeying scripture and they are a disciple and disciples do obey scripture, then they're going to go in their circles of influence, the places that they are, see people come to know Jesus and then come alongside them Mm to see them grow and love Jesus in their day-to-day walk. And then the cycle continues where we're not just, we're not just having people pray a prayer Mm -hmm. and saying words. Now we're having people grow up to love Jesus and his mission. Mm -hmm. You see what I did there? Wow. Um, And so like that is, you know, the heart behind a disciple Our, I mean, our church has like a statement for everything. (laughs) And so, I mean, (laughs) we just do. And so like, we have like five things that make a disciple and we have like five things. And and so there's, you can come up with however, you know, fun, fancy, sticky statement. You know, I went to Wheaton and I was a calm major way of defining (laughs) a disciple, but a disciple is someone who, whose day to day life is pursuing and chasing after Jesus. And then hopefully they go Mm -hmm. and see that replicated in the lives of the people around them. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I think you just hit it like there's life change necessary with the discipleship. So it's like Jesus isn't just your get out of hell, get out of hell free card, but he is also the Lord of your life. And if he's the Lord of your life, that means things in your life need to change so that they look more like him. And that includes the calling to go. And that's where like the replication and the disciples making disciples part comes in. Because not only is like, has he saved you and given you his spirit, but now as disciples, like, his word starts to change you. His spirit starts to change you. He changes your desires and your thoughts and your actions. And like my innate response is not to go to my neighbor and to tell them about the Lord because that's uncomfortable and strange and weird. And what are they going to think about me? But like, because the Lord's spirit is within me and because his word tells me to do this and because I'm encouraged by community, like now I, my action is going to change. And now that's where I now go. Now, therefore go. And that's where the replication and just over and over and over and over again. And the mission stops when we focus on making converts, when we focus on getting butts in the seat. Um, and we don't, we don't push them into the word that pushes them on mission. Um, because it's very hard to like not live missionally. If you're in the word of God, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very, very difficult um, because it's just sprinkled all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible. God's heart for Israel, God's heart for the Gentiles, like God is a, is a missionally minded God. And when we read that in his word, that should change things about us. Um, and so man, like discipleship has an aspect of obedience, um, it has an aspect of submission. Um, and when that happens, dude, like that's, that's, that's going to replicate. Our church has another statement, <laughs> of course, and it's something along the lines of our church isn't defined by our seating capacity. It's divine. It's defined by our sending good. capacity good. and the sending capacity. Like we're not just talking about overseas missions. Like we're just talking about like, I mean, you could probably reword it. So we're not defined by our seating capacity. We're defined by our disciple making capacity. It's like the sticky. people that sit in our chairs it's well, you know, I'm not a comm major. Sorry. I just, I'm a theology major. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like our church isn't defined by the people that we get to sit in the seats on a Sunday. No, our church should be defined that those people sitting in those seats are disciples mm-hmm. who are going out during their week in whatever spheres they're in making disciples mm-hmm. and hopefully filling the church with people yeah. like that. And yeah, then we're sending people like crazy. People are going overseas. People are planning churches. People are going back into their workplaces mm-hmm. and like sharing the gospel and seeing these converts uh, come to know Jesus and then be discipled. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great, as we kind of lay, lands. Oh, well, what? It's, it's, it's a great church growth model. Like that's, that's yeah. a way of like, if, if you're a pastor looking to grow your church, I'm like, get the, get the people on fire for missions, the great commission and they'll yeah. go. And I'm like, they'll go into spaces that you know, you're not ever able to. And like share the gospel, make disciples, bring them back into the community. And it's a big spinning wheel 
of how to grow your church. The bit, the biblical. If you're not way. careful, if you're not careful, you'll just send them all overseas, and then you won't have a church anymore. Um, you know, <laughs> it's okay. As we land the plane here. Oh, also, I wanted to make a comment. When you said the message version of go, I wanted to say something like, it's probably like run around and throw your hands in the air and have fun. Have you been thinking on that for 20 minutes? <laughs> for 24 like- <laughs> minutes and 32 seconds on the dot. That's, that's why you're not a con major. You don't have 24 minutes to come up with one, one, one joke. Well, I didn't want to cut you off because I... Well, no, I had the joke. Oh, yeah. I had the joke. I just didn't want to cut yeah. you off because I'm I'm like Christ <laughs> and sanctified. Um, <laughs> as we land the plane here, what would you say to the person who woke up this morning and felt the full weight of the responsibility to know and understand what it means for them to obey the calling that God has on their life? Yeah. And how would you encourage them to realize that the call that God has put on their life is not a crippling one, but it's a freeing mm-hmm. one? Um, what would you say to that person? Um, I would say trying to fulfill the Great Commission, if you think about it, like it is kind of crippling. Like it's like it's a lot of people in a lot of places, and I'm like, I can barely, I can't even handle my neighbors, much less the nations. Um, but I think a helpful framework is like Jesus started with 12. So you're not Jesus start with one. Um, and like, that's where that whole, who's your one campaign comes into play. And so like an easy framework is like, okay, whatever vocation you have right now, um, whether you work in finance or you're a teacher or you're a pastor or you're a coach or you're a student or a parent, whatever your vocation is, focus on one person, um, head into that space make disciples and focus on that one spend time spend time in prayer for that person um, I think we underestimate the value of prayer that we think that like our words and our theology and our debate is going to change that person's mind um, but simply starting with an action of prayer and I want to be careful because when I say that we're like well I pray for them I don't have to, I don't actually have to do anything with that no like pray and then pray for boldness that when God opens up the door that you would step forward and share the gospel with that um but I think over, I think overall, man, like there is a freeing aspect to this because, dude, I have wrestled with, am I in the right place? Am I in the right vocation? Um, like, like the, the very aspect of like I've changed jobs like three years in the last or three times in the last three years, coming out of college and like in apprenticeship programs and different churches and spots. And during those three years, every job transition was like, am I making the right am I making the right decision? Um, is this really where the Lord has called me? And like the Lord has been faithful in every single spot. Now I need to be faithful to what's in front of me. Um, and right now that's to be the student pastor of the local church that I'm at and steward these kids and steward these families and steward the neighbors that I have next to me. Um, and when you understand what he's already called you to living out your vocation actually becomes a very freeing thing. Where if one day ministry is no longer an option, the thing that he's called me to is still the exact same. Um, and that's the thing yeah. that will never change. Love Jesus and do whatever you want. Because ultimately, when you love Jesus, what you want is what he wants. Yeah. And you will be fulfilling the will if you love him fully and completely. Um, and so it's freeing. And so, yeah, thanks for that word. That's good. That's really good. Prayer cannot be done apart from action. It's like a canoe, mm-hmm. right? You got two oars, you got two paddles. If you paddle one, you'll just go in circles. If you paddle another, you'll just go in circles. If you paddle them in tandem, you'll go forward. And so, yeah, yeah that was really good. Well, guys, thank you all for listening. Thanks for the support over yeah, the past seriously. couple of like months. Shout out Ireland. It's been honestly. Where are y'all coming from? <laughs> like home of the potatoes coming out here strong with, with the listeners. Yeah. I don't know if like, what's up y'all. Thank you guys yeah, for seriously. tuning in. Um, California. Welcome to the party. Um, the, what coast is that? The West coast, the West coast. It's bro. It's like 6 PM over there. Yeah. That's nice. They're like eating it's, dinner. And it's, I'm it's crazy tired. to me that it's not just listened to in like our little sphere, but like, it's literally pulled from all over the world these little places like that 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 blows my mind thank you guys for so much for tuning in um 
that's more than yeah. we ever could have imagined or dreamed. Yeah, we really appreciate it. If you want to hear some more content from us, get a little bit more of Sanctified Ish, you can check us out on TikTok, Sanctified Ish. Uh, we post some cool content podcast clips before the podcast is released so you can hear all of the crazy fun stuff we have to talk about and ramble about on the episode coming up you can email us sanctifiedish at gmail.com seriously email us let us know what you thought of the episode maybe you loved it maybe you were you were encouraged and we want to hear that please um maybe you have some feedback maybe there's something that we maybe handled a little bit wrong or or kind of took the wrong turn at we want to also know that too we are very much learning so literally um, the nature of the podcast is like we are in process oh (laughs) we haven't figured it out yet literally the point of the podcast so essentially Everything we could have just said could have been wrong. Uh, <laughs> but if it's if that's the case, let us know because we want to know and we want to figure these things out with you guys. So email us sanctifiedish at gmail.com. We couldn't be more appreciative for you guys. We're super thankful. If you guys haven't done it already, leave a five-star review and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, guys, take care and God See bless. See you on season two. Holy crap, two seasons? We did it.